0: Angels can change your life. They are all around us, and they want to help. We've just got to know how to let them in, and we can get some insight into that through studying some of the most famous angel encounters of all time. Angels play a prominent role in the biblical Christmas story. Last week, we looked at the angels themselves, their identity, and what they did. In this episode, we'll look at how people felt and what people did during and after an angel visitation, which allowed it to change their life. The first thing that changed in the story for those people is they got scared. As people on earth, we're usually operating in a lower level state of mind, pursuing agendas that involve a lot of worldly and temporal cares and concerns. Our lower egos aren't naturally acclimated to the higher levels of being that angels operate on. For most of us, we can't even notice the presence of angels. For people who get a vision of an angel, like people in the Christmas story, there can at first be a real shock to the system that can be called holy fear. The sudden appearance of an angel can feel confusing and scary, but of course angels, who are filled with pure love from God, don't want to freak us out. And that's why the most repeated phrase from God and angels in the Bible is, Do not be afraid, or fear not. In the Christmas story, Zacharias, Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds all experience the startling, sudden appearance of angels, and then they're told, Fear not. That reassurance allows them to open up and listen to what the angels have come to tell them. They're told that the Savior's been born, and how to find Him and take care of Him. In the same way, when our lower egos are humbled and our hearts softened, that's when the real listening can happen. We can take in angelic messages that instruct us how to find God's presence in our lives, and also how to nurture and protect that presence. God's presence is the same thing as genuine goodness, love, and happiness. That presence comes to save us from negativity and misery and to lead us to a state of heavenly love. And then what happens after the angels' message is absorbed and accepted? In the Christmas story, the people who listened to these messages from the angels then responded with gratitude, expressed in songs of praise and prophecy. And most importantly, they took action, new action that would change the course of their lives. They made efforts to prepare for and welcome this newborn savior and to take care of him. This in turn changed the course of humanity. In our own lives, if we take angelic guidance to heart and allow it to change our actions, this is us welcoming the small at first, but life-changing presence of the Lord and His love into our lives. And changing ourselves helps to change the world. Angels can change our lives through these three key steps—holy fear, listening, and gratitude in action. Let's take a closer look. Holy fear, Batman, sorry. Did you know there is something called holy fear? But that doesn't mean that you're afraid of some kind of frightening, angry God. There's actually a very cool definition to it. This is from Apocalypse Revealed. A holy fear is sometimes combined with a reverent trembling of the interior constituents that belong to the mind, and sometimes with a standing on end of the hair. So goosebumps from holy fear, and it comes over a person, when the life from the Lord enters in place of one's own life. One's own life is to look to the Lord from oneself, while life from the Lord is to look to the Lord from the Lord, yet doing so as though of oneself. When we are seized by this life, we see that we are nothing and that only the Lord is anything. And isn't it true in moments of awe or reverence or something really gorgeous occurs to you, you get these goosebumps, and in that moment you're just focused on what's good and true, which is the Lord. I'm just saying, that's a very specific description that rings true to me. But that's not the only definition of holy fear. It can also be various disturbances of mind arising from the inflow of things that cause amazement, connected also with joy. So joyful disturbance of our ego-based life. Holy fear is something that can feel good, and it's a natural reaction to encountering something from a higher spiritual level, like, for example, the presence of an angel. And it can be wonderful and startling, but the purpose of it, what it does, is humbles our ego and opens up the higher mind and the heart to whatever's trying to come through. So one way already to allow angels to change your life is to allow their presence to break down lower ego resistance to heavenly love." That's the point. The only thing really keeping us apart from this life of the Lord is our attachment to this superficial, mean-spirited stuff. But, of course, most of the fear we feel in our lives isn't this holy fear. It's negative and crippling. We're not trying to say it's good to be afraid. Swedenborg talks about evil spirits who intentionally inspire fear in us and feed off of that fear. That's not what God does. The intention of the Lord and of angels is never to just frighten you for frightening's sake. So even when people in the Bible, we hear them having this holy fear, what do they always say? What does the Lord and angels always say? Fear not. This is the most common a commandment in the Bible, and often even accompanied by a, a reassuring touch. So the fear is not the point, but it does serve a purpose. And you can find examples of this in Revelation, in Daniel, Matthew, all over the place, Luke, Mark. It happens quite a bit, and I guess how it can happen in our own lives as well. So another way to allow angels to change your life is to allow their presence to dispel fear and to bring reassurance and comfort, because that's the point. The holy fear is to get us to a place where we can absorb the truth, but we don't need to stay afraid. We can find comfort, just enough fear to get the ego to play nice for a little bit. And we find examples of both kind of changes in the Christmas story.
1: Then there appeared to Zechariah an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. And the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord.
0: In the case of Joseph, we have an angel come and encourage him not to be afraid of what's going on in his life, because he is distressed, his wife-to-be is pregnant, and the kid's not his, and he was thinking, okay, I'm going to cut this off. But then we read in Matthew 1:20, but just when he had resolved to do this, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid, there's that, don't be afraid, to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So besides simple compassion, why do angels tell people so much to fear not?
2: Well, I find it fascinating to look at the Christmas story, not only with um, warm feelings about what it was like to learn that story as a child, but also to look at it from the point of view of psychology or even neuroscience. So for instance, there's a story about the shepherds who were in Israel and they were working at night in the dark out in the fields taking care of their sheep and they had to protect them. So they had to be alert and awake, but it was pretty dark. Unless there was a moon out, it was pretty dark. And they weren't used to bright lights coming on because there were no big cities at that time. So imagine what it was like for them to be in that setting on alert, being ready to protect their sheep, and all of a sudden, these amazing angels showed up. They would be afraid. They'd be very afraid. That was their first reaction. So in their brains, they were wondering, "Ah, what's going on? Maybe it's a fire or something terrible has happened. So then looking at it from the point of view of a psychologist or a neuroscientist, we can picture that. The information came into their eyes, they saw the bright lights of the angels, and then that information went into the back of their head, to the occipital lobe, and then from there it went down into the amygdala. The amygdala is a little part of the brain, about as big as your fingernail, and it is a little like a smoke alarm. It immediately responds if there's a signal that something's in danger. And so what's interesting is that the amygdala then sends out information to the hippocampus, the hypothalamus, the adrenal glands, and that's what releases into your veins cortisol and adrenal adrenaline. And so what makes it feel like at that point is fight or flight. We've all heard that phrase before, and your body is now ready. Well, a couple decades ago, a really interesting scientist named Dr. Morris studied what happens when somebody is in that fearful state, and then they look at a really genuinely happy face. And when they do, the amygdala calms down. We can take pictures of that with amazing neuroscience equipment. And the amygdala calms down so it no longer sends out signals to the rest of the body. And so a person can go from fear to fearing not which is what the angels said. And I just try to imagine what those beautiful angels looked like. They were so warm and kind, and they said, don't be afraid. And then the people were able to think and hear the message, which is to go see Jesus in Bethlehem. Pretty amazing. Now we didn't have neuroscience several thousand years ago, but now we can verify what happens to a person's mind when they are told to fear not, and they're looking at a radiantly beautiful, kind angel.
0: Listening. So, we got this thing called holy fear, and the holy fear can get us into a humble state of mind, shake us out of our rigid, dysfunctional, earthly, lower ego state, but then we've got to come out of this state of fear. You can't stay there, wallow in it, accept the reassurance and comfort that heaven's going to offer alongside that, And then the next state is a state of listening. So, spiritual listening is being willing to open our mind and let let new information flow in. So, not just listen for what we already want to hear. And real listening can only happen when the heart is willing. When we say, I I will change if if you tell me. In the Bible, we have characters described as having hard hearts. Pharaoh is very famous for that, when they're not willing to listen to divine messages. So, a hard heart Is refusing to listen or refusing to accept guidance that conflicts with selfish self-interest. We'll always listen to stuff that favors what we already wanted. So if we want to get past that, first we have to be able to soften our hearts, which makes it possible to receive a message from an angel. There's got to be room in the inn, whether that comes in subtle or obvious ways. So a soft heart is a willingness to be kind and to listen, or a willingness to accept and obey the guidance of love, which the Holy Fear helps to wedge that open. is in Secrets of Heaven. The people of the earliest church, the earliest people in this, on this planet, were such that they acknowledged no other faith than faith from love. Heavenly angels are the same way. It was foreseen, though, that the human race would not maintain this character, but would split faith off from love for the Lord and make it into a doctrine of its own. We get too much up in our heads. So it was also provided that faith would indeed be split off, but in such a way that that through it or through a knowledge of it, the Lord would give us a heart for charity. In this way, knowledge or hearing the message would come first. Then through that knowledge or hearing, the Lord would give us the gift of charity. That is love for our neighbor and mercy. It's supposed to be the good feeling came first and and that taught you about life, but now it's got to be the other way around. That's just the human condition. If we want to get God's love back in our hearts, we've got to be open to it. We have to be willing to listen to the messages that will lead us to love and and not think we necessarily already have got it figured out. And sometimes that takes something that breaks us down a bit, shakes up our uh, ego-encrusted world and the resistance that comes with that. But those kind of shakeups are only permitted, and maybe you've been through a few yourself, but they're only permitted for the sake of making room inside of us for heavenly influence. There's a good intention, even if the process can be a little bit unnerving for us. In the story of the birth of Jesus, we see a story about how we can all open up to the Lord entering our own hearts. This is a blueprint for us. And what does it take? Softening and listening. You see this in the Bible stories. Zechariah and Mary listened and followed the angel's instructions to prepare for the births of John the Baptist and Jesus. Angel didn't just prepare, he gave them the instructions. The shepherds out in the fields were listening to the angels' instructions about how to find the child, and they could absorb these messages because they had hearts that were willing. So another way we can allow angels to change us is to listen to angelic messages with an open heart and an open mind. And keep it open. And never think you've got it so well understood that you won't listen. Whether those messages come in obvious ways or subtle ways, the messages will always have to do with loving God and the neighbor, and guiding us in that direction. There's a little sort of pH test. Is this maybe from something angelic? Is it pointing you in that direction? If you want more about this, see our show, How to Feel the Presence of Angels. In the afterlife, where the angels are, Swedenborg learned more about how a willing and open heart is needed to take in spiritual knowledge and guidance.
3: Swedenborg vividly witnessed in the afterlife what a difference it makes in taking in spiritual or heavenly information if a person's heart is open to it, if there's a desire for goodness and a desire for truth. For instance, he describes a garden, a particular garden in heaven in which people were being taught about heavenly marriage. And because they were so eager for that information, they were easily absorbing it, taking it in, learning it. In contrast, in True Christianity 391, Swedenborg describes angels who were feeling frustrated because they were trying to teach heavenly information to some particular clergyman who did not want that information, who refused it because it was uh, opposing certain doctrines they had become attached to, and so they could not, would not learn it no matter what the angels said. In True Christianity 745, Swedenborg is describing this scene where there's a choir singing beautiful music and the effect on the listeners is according to their state of mind and the more they are enjoying the music and wanting goodness, the more they're getting out of it. Here is a quote from that description. The singers tell us that as those listening become more receptive, the sound of the song becomes more inspired inwardly alive and beautiful. So the more the heart is wanting, the more can be gotten out of any experience um, in which there's learning and enjoyment going on. Also see a short clip we have in which Curtis and Jonathan discuss how no new concepts or actions will happen until a person's feelings change. That is a clip called, Nothing Can Change Our Thinking Until Our Feelings Change. (laughs) And so a change of heart has everything to do with what our minds can take in.
0: Gratitude and action. In the Christmas story, what happened next? I mean, what happened after these angels came and delivered their messages? Because the people who were receiving the messages had humbled and opened their hearts through the holy fear and the listening, they were able to then respond to these messages. One response was gratitude and praise, and another category was taking new action. And I'll prove it to you in these stories. In the stories uh, around Zacharias, he was mute for a while because he doubted the message. But later, he named the child John as he was instructed, and his speech was restored, and he expressed gratitude, praised God, spoke—and not just spoke, but spoke a prophecy about how God was going to save humanity— that's pretty good. This, the Mary stories. She consented to be the mother of the Savior. She named the child Jesus. Uh, she was also asked to name, expressed a beautiful song of gratitude and praise, and then cared for and raised the child Jesus. Joseph, he followed the angel's instructions to take Mary for his wife. He, everybody's naming the kids what they're told. Named the child Jesus, took care of Mary and the child, and famously, when Herod was looking to kill Jesus, Joseph listened to the angel who was saying, go take Mary and Jesus to Egypt, will there be safe? And then bring them back after Herod had died. The shepherds followed the angel's instructions to find the infant Jesus. Afterwards, they, they were praising. They praised God, spread the word about what they had seen and what they had been told about the importance of this child. So they did it, and we can do it. We can allow angels to change our lives by allowing their presence to inspire gratitude and new action. And the gratitude, don't just throw that away. It's an important spiritual tool, because it opens our hearts to allowing this deeper connection to whoever we're feeling grateful toward. You don't forget stuff that you're grateful for. This allows it to take root and change you. We talk about that in our show, The Effect of Gratitude, so check that out. And the taking action part of the equation can lead us in a direction at times that we weren't expecting.
4: When I think about Mary and Joseph, when I think about Zacharias and Elizabeth, none of them really knew what was in store for them. And this was probably not part of their life plan. Zacharias and Elizabeth had wanted to have a child, but by now they were way too old to go through that. So they just didn't expect that to happen. And Joseph probably didn't have a big plan of I want to be the protector of a family and my wife will actually be giving birth to a son that I didn't father and will need to uproot the whole family and go to Egypt for four years and then wait and then I'll need to trust a dream that says that it's safe to go back, trusting in dreams again and again and again. I admire these people because once they got these messages from angels, they really took them to heart. They believed it and they formed their whole life around that faith. And the same applies to us in a sense. We all have our plan A. I I think we're we're going for something, aren't we? We have something in mind, someplace we'd like to be. And yet, when we surrender to that, when we say yes, the way that they said yes to what the angel said, Mary said, let it be to me according to your word. When we say yes to what that angel is trying to lead us to, we become part of something bigger than ourselves, a grand plan of love and transformation that's unfolding.
0: Let's wrap it up. God can come to us through the presence of angels. So who wouldn't want that? And this might happen through an obvious vision of an angel. People do get those. Or for the rest of us, through the subtle influence of angels, In our thinking, in our our feelings, in our perspective on life. Heaven can touch you right there. And when this happens, when they're saying, hey, can we let go of earlier agendas and be receptive to a divine change of plans? Can we listen to the message and maybe a path for our life that we weren't totally expecting? So, how to allow angels to change your life is to allow the presence of angels to break down lower ego resistance to heavenly love, allow them to dispel fear. Fear not, and bring reassurance and comfort. Yeah, part of it is you gotta allow yourself to be comforted. Help you listen with an open heart and mind, inspire gratitude, inspire new action. And you might, sure, you can be afraid of a spiritual experience you had, or afraid of this, like a new life direction, or confused by it. But if we follow what we feel like in our hearts is the right guidance as best as we can with humility, trust that God is, out there, and then gratitude for the good things being brought to us by heaven, then we will be led eventually in the direction of a deeper presence of God and of angels, and with that, peace, happiness, and way more than we could have imagined. And, and, or as is the same thing, a more immediate presence of heavenly love and heavenly wisdom around us, coming through us. And what this is doing is making us into an angel ourselves. We are becoming the very things that are reaching out to us. For more about that transformation, see our show, How to Become an Angel, News from Heaven. We can not only be guided by angels, but we can join in teamwork with them in serving the greatest of all causes, which is the Lord, or everything true and good that can touch the human race and all the love coming out from the divine looking to, to bring us all into total and lasting happiness. Why wouldn't you want to sign up? To be on that team.
1: Off the left eye is Curtis Childs, director, producer, and host. Karin Childs, writer, community manager, and host. Chelsea Odner, writer, production manager, and host. And Jonathan Rose, host and series editor of the NCE. Shada Sullivan is the voice you love in our narrations. Stuart Farmer is our technical director. Matthew Childs, our video art director. Our motion designers are Meng Jong and Jesse Johnson. Reed McCardle made our music. Devin Osblond is our production intern. Cara Daum is our Latin consultant extraordinaire, and Chris Dunn is our digital marketing magician. And you are our much-loved listener. And now you can journey with us all week. Every Monday's Swedenborg Life episode, including this one, has a week's worth of content lined up to support you in your exploration of these life-changing ideas. All video content premieres at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, and 7 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time on the Off the Left Eye YouTube, Facebook, and Simplecast channels. On Tuesdays, find us on social media or go to offthelefteye.com to get custom downloadable art paired with the week's topic to ground you through the week. On Wednesdays, join us to dig a little deeper into the week's topic with news from heaven. On Thursdays, we want to hear from you. We'll be sharing a new reflection question weekly on our community tab and social media channels. Then join us for Swedenborg Live on Fridays for our panel Q&A show. And listen every Sunday to the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast to always know what we're up to and what you can look forward to. If you want to help sustain Off The Left Eye's operations, consider becoming a monthly donor today. And right now, we have a matching gift challenge from a very generous donor couple where dollar for dollar up to $10,000 will be matched when you make a new or increased monthly donation. You can provide a direct gift or restrict it to our new Off The Left Eye endowment fund. Giving to the endowment fund is a great way to guarantee that your gifts live on to help Off The Left Eye forever. Go to otle.cosvox.com to become part of our essential community of donors. From all of us here at Off the Left Eye, we thank you.